0: Today, on a special edition of the Texas Companion.
1: We look at the historical facts behind the incident of seven sixteen eighty three.
2: The diary of Sam Houston contains an entry pertaining to this special modern day of
3: remembrance. And during the forecast, we will have the state mandated hymn for the dead. As with every year, today's episode contains shocking and very negative topics. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Barbara Ann Kalachi.
1: I'm Chet Greenspaw.
3: I'm Josephine Rochester, and
2: this is the Sadness Day Special for 2016, here
1: on on the the Texas Texas Companion. Companion.
2: Howdy listeners, it's noon here at the recording studios, and as you can hear, churches are ringing the call to their annual Mass for Sadness Day.
1: It is a day to honor the dead, both the innocent bystanders and those who perished fighting the dark sorcerers of the incident.
2: Some of you listening from outside of Texas may not know about the holiday today similar to Juneteenth or Cinco de Mayo. Enough time has passed that many national news agencies no longer mention it. There are fully grown voting adults alive today who were not even born when that terrible event occurred.
1: That makes me feel old, Josephine. Old and tired.
2: Yes, Chet. You are old and tired and kind of ugly, but for our listeners who are either young or not from Texas or both, let's give you the facts on what it was like July 16th, 1983. When you think of Texas, many things spring to mind. But one thing we all try not to think about very often, one terrible day happened long ago, back in the year 1983. Richard Nixon was in his first term as president. North and South Germany had not yet reunited. America was still firmly in the grip of the space race, and the Vietnam War had only just begun.
1: It was a different time. I remember it well. i had only turned just 11 years old. School was out for summer vacation. New songs by Elvis were all over the AM radio. Me and some of the other boys on my block liked to play stickball down at the vacant lot dad worked all day at the laudanum plant and when he got home mom would whip up a tasty dinner of steak fried steak on the grill life was good but then we had no idea our innocence was about to be lost
2: i too was young not a child not a teenager but that fleeting, sweet time between the two and although i did not understand it at the time I grew to agree with my parents that the day of the incident was my generation's version of the JFK moment. We all remember where we were the instant it happened. Up until then, not many Texans had heard of the town of Pueblo Lake. It was a name we would all learn well over the common days. A name that we would remember long after the town itself had been wiped off the map. It were my cousin's ninth birthday, yep. That's Anita Woolstead, one of the few first-hand survivors of the incident. You may have seen her over the years on CNN, as well as many radio and talk shows.
4: I'd grown up my whole life on Poivre Lake... We wasn't real well-known. Only had us in one school. Most people visited us to use the lake. Lots of tourists. Terrorists? Tourists. For fishing and swimming and stuff. Specifically around summer holidays like Fourth of July. Yep. A lot of fireworks and magic, I reckon.
1: Magic. Today, we only know it as a prohibited concept. Talk to the younger adult crowd, and they'll react in shock that someone would even consider sorcery. It's hard to explain to them that when I was growing up, magic was allowed outside of city limits. We all had some incantations locked in a closet, or let the children play with minor cantrips for New Year's Eve. Sorcery was used carefully, respectfully, and nobody expected what happened that fateful day. It had never occurred to us that anyone would be so evil as to do what was done
4: significant other or whoever you want to hang out with (laughs) and then uh the weekend so far so good should be dry but in the 40s so
1: it was
3: slow and slutty slutty (laughs) steady steady we knew what you meant yeah all right thanks danielle
1: what the heck was that Ladies and gentlemen at home, we're receiving word that there's been some kind of major, yes, witnesses are describing some kind of catastrophic explosion. Our traffic helicopter with Brian Shinger, Eye in the Sky Channel 5 traffic, is en route to see what has happened.
2: Like lots of folks at home, I have this moment memorized. We wouldn't hear the name of the place Poivre Lake for several more hours, but I saw this on the television while my mother and I were getting manicures down at Elvirus.
1: I was down at Balls Hamburgers enjoying a fresh, salty malt when it came on the screen. The huge tower of smoke, filmed by the helicopter crew of Channel 5 as they approached and we all watched as that now famous footage unfolded before our very eyes.
2: For Anita Woolstead, whose family fled from the outskirts of Pauva Lake. I, I think about it still,
4: most every day. As soon as Daddy saw the man in black robes with their glowing hands, he grabbed me and Mama, chucked us in the truck, and hit the gas without even pausing to say goodbye to nobody. I don't think I ever done drove that fast for nor since. Your
2: family survived, but at a cost, Yes. <laughs> yeah, Daddy weren't quick enough.
4: We only got a little effect some, so it could have been worse. But, yeah, we got affected just the same. You can see my arm here. My leg is like that, too.
2: Oh, my stars and goddess. C- can I touch that? Does it bite?
4: It does, so... <sighs> no. I have to feed those things live mice every three days. If not, well, it spreads. Gonna have to feed them the rest of my life, the docs say. And your parents? Daddy came down with something kind of like this, except the other way around. Pretty soon, we had to we had to keep them in the tub and, and pour gravy on them all day it killed him
2: three years later. (laughs) Would you like a moment, Miss Woolstead? (laughs) Please."
1: Anita and her family were luckier than most. By the end of the day, only twelve citizens of the town had made it to safety before everything else lay in ruins. More than 900 residents disappeared. So did the lake by the time the flames, sorcery, and lightning had subsided to the point that rescuers could enter the place that had once been Poivre Lake, all that remained were bones, rubble, and the occasional minor demon. The world turned its eyes to the disaster, aid shipments began to arrive immediately, and many from all over the world proudly purchased and wore shirts that commemorated Poivre Lake, One week after the incident, MTV hosted an aid-benefit concert starring such huge celebrities as Michael Jackson, Aretha Franklin, Bon Jovi, Striper, and Slayer. As the story of what had occurred was pieced together through forensic evidence and carefully monitored clairvoyance spells, the nation mourned with us. Laws were passed quickly, forbidding any and all sorcery within the state of Texas. Bounties were placed on all thaumaturgists, sorcerers, wizards and oracles. The Texas K.A.T.S. system was designed and implemented at breakneck speed.
2: And not a moment too soon. Less than two months after the incident of Poiva Lake, a group of renegade sorcerers attempted a similar attack, this time in downtown Austin. As many will remember, they did not get far in their malevolent plan. The K.A.T.S. system made sure of that. The Black Enclave of Vordosh, another rogue sorcery group that was emboldened by the incident, did not manage to perform even one spell in Austin before they were surrounded and annihilated. Several other attempts by groups of enchanters were equally unsuccessful, The K.A.T.S. system was here to stay.
1: By January of 1984, Texas had become the first State of the Union to fully prohibit all forms of sorcery. Violators were prosecuted immediately and without mercy. Many first-time offenders convicted of thaumaturgy were sentenced to capital punishment. The most lenient sentence handed down in the next ten years was banishment, in which the offender was stripped naked and forced to run without shoes, food, or water. To the nearest Texas border. There they were informed that they were not permitted to ever enter our state again.
2: Thanks to the lovely efforts of former Governor Ricardo Estevez Montauban Sanchez and the Texas state troopers, sorcery related deaths have dropped to virtually non existent. But only as long as we remain vigilant.
3: Thank you, Chet and Josephine. And now, we continue our look at the recently discovered Lost Diary of Sam Houston. For any of our newer listeners who didn't hear the first installment, San Antonio construction teams unearthed a hidden cellar during the demolition of the Alamo, back in 2006. Within, they found a leather-bound book that was later verified as having been penned by Sam Houston. After studying these pages for a decade, the University of Texas in Benbrook has given scans of these pages to the Texas Companion so that we may read them over the air. This second installment is topical, as it pertains to Houston's first meeting with an interesting group of folks, before Texas became a state. Let's hear it.
0: June seventh, 1816 I have found pause by a campfire this evening, so I shall take this moment to relate all that has happened in the whirlwind of the last two days. I was riding for home, back on the ranch of my deceased father, with Davy Crockett. Davy has been by my side often, a true pack brother to me as I have slowly rejoined the world of men over the last few years. Pants are still troublesome, as are shoes and bathing but I keep my face shaven now and wear a hat as a proper white man should. Davy and I were sitting outside of Fort Dillings, just north of the hills of Dallas when we came upon a most peculiar wagon train. They spoke very strangely to my wolf ears. Davy was able to parley with them as he speaks the language they do, French Hay. They explained that their group is called Les Réunions, this group of settlers, a pack really, have traveled far outside of their home in France, where they were outcast on account of pratique la sur I was unsure of what that meant as I am still trying to make sense of the English language, and I have no understanding of French, hay. Davy found this amusing and invited the settlers to dine with us that evening. It was... A most peculiar night, one of the settlers, who gave his name as François, approached me before dinner. I am accustomed to greeting strangers by sniffing their buttholes, but humans seem to prefer the handshake. As I attempted this gesture, François opened his mouth. Flowers poured out of it in many different colors. The men, including David, did find this amusing. The friend of François, another man named P. Eyre, threw a stick on the ground where before my eyes it turned into a rattlesnake. This further alarmed me as it did when one of the settler's women, a strong, handsome lass named Mary, raised her hands. They burst into flame as if they were coated in lamp oils. I did not smell any oil with my wolf nose but her hands lit up just the same. With my heckles raised, I fled into the night, and I did not return until this morning, when I could no longer ignore my hunger. Upon my arrival, Davy apologized for the tricks that had been played upon me the night before. He explained that this pack, Le Reunion, were a group of magical wizards and witches. I did not understand. Wolves do not have such magic, not as humans do. But then again, as we talked, I realized that humans lack some of what wolves have. Abilities of my own they would call magic. We compared our skills. Humans, even wizards, cannot track a deer's scent for miles. I cannot produce lightning from my fingertips after saying strange words. Wizards cannot see by the starlight as clearly as I do. I cannot call forth a small demon in a hat and make it dance. We did find, however, that both I and the wizards can speak to the wind and converse with the birds of the air. Thusly was understanding found. Earlier tonight, in what she called an apology for alarming me, Mary, the witch... Visited my tent. She performed great magic on us. Our clothing disappeared. We mated whilst floating above the ground. Then we mated again as wolves do upon the earth and howling. Afterward, in her strangely accented English, she told me that the Le Reunion Pack intended to settle nearby. They planned to build a great tower to practice their magic within, in an arena where witches and wizards may do battle against one another. I do not fully understand this plan of towers and arenas and sorcery, but Mary did say that I would be welcome there once it is built. Then she vanished back to her camp in a puff of smoke. I do not know when I shall return, but if this pack is successful, I may see Mary again. She says she sees great and wonderful adventures in my future. Tonight, I write these letters in my diary as I sit by the campfire and consider how strange life can be. As we said in the pack, oh oh
3: oh. It is interesting that this, the completely verified diary of Sam Houston, contains so many facts that we never knew before. <clears throat> Sam Houston, our founding father of the Lone Star State, ran into real-life sorcerers. Should he have slaughtered them all? Was he right in allowing them to remain? We'll have another page of the diary in another episode soon. But as the broadcast continues, listeners, we take you now to the weather. Oh my god,
1: there's a big old frog. He's sitting angry on his log and giving me did when you left and we'll fly on unicorn penis through a starscape what the fuck are you doing who are you well i was gonna ask you that me i'm cecil craner i'm i'm a contract weatherman a what yeah they said the regular guy here didn't show up for work today
0: i'm the regular guy chuck dubois And I was just taking a fucking nap in my car on account of the heavy drinking last night. Uh, My alarm didn't go off right on time, and now I find you... What the hell are you doing here anyway?
1: Well, yeah, you know. The weather. What? You know, I do a lot of these gigs. A radio station needs someone to come in and play some folks on. I swear, I didn't know.
3: Sweetie, you okay?
1: I I was napping. Can we kick this goddamn hippie out of my recording
3: booth? Hey! Mr. Cecil Craner, can you come with me? This is
1: all very unprofessional, I've got to say, man.
3: Well, you just go back to your
2: weather bit on other podcasts. I'm still
1: getting paid, right?
2: Let's talk. Out there. I swear, it
0: stinks like patchouli in this place Screw
1: now. you guys. I'm going to drive out to the southwest and do the weather for that other oh, radio Oh, I'm show, so sorry, the, Chuck. The we
2: just radio couldn't page. find you. I,
0: I was 30 seconds late. 30 seconds. And you called in and... and An understudy? Is that is that it? A a temp?
2: Oh, I'm so sorry, Chuck. We we just couldn't find you. We wasn't trying to replace you.
0: Well, if you were, I'd hope you'd do better than that hack.
2: Chuck, you okay?
0: Weather forecasting is my life, Josephine.
2: Sugarburger. You know you're a part of this here podcast. Yeah. Come on (sighs) now. Easy. (sighs) Don't get so mad. I guess. How about you tell us what to expect this week? I'll make it up to you later tonight. You will? I'll do that thing you like with the lipstick.
0: Oh. Oh. Uh, Okay. Uh, all right.
2: Now. Let's do this right. Take it in three, two.
0: Well, thanks, Josephine. This Sadness Day evening, a newly formed dry line is moving in from northwest Maine, precisely on schedule. This means, as it does every year, that Sadness Day and the week following will be overcast with ominous lightning, softly falling ashes, and a constant sense of loss. And now, without further ado, let us sing to the dead. Oh.
2: texas companion
1: foam insulation you might think it can do almost anything but is it delicious no it is not
3: soccer is gaining popularity throughout the state nobody's entirely sure why could this be the next epidemic
2: and we'll take a long hard look at hugh jackman one of the most famous native texans in modern entertainment
1: i'm josephine rochester
3: i'm barbara Ann Colacci. And I'm Chet
1: Greenspaw wishing you a wonderful, wonderful Texas day.
0: This episode of The Texas Companion was written by the whole stupid cast. Produced by all of us. Every. Last. One of us. The voice of Barbara Ann Colacci is Mel Hines. The voice of Josephine Rochester is Tracy Stark. The voice of Anita Woolstead is Amber Reed. The voices of Chet Greenspaw and Cecil Craner were Jay Grant. The voices of both Sam Houston and Chuck Dubois are Robert Fox, who is also reading these credits. Background music provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Further background music provided by Justin Dack. Sadness Day hymn sung by a band of homeless people we made sing at gunpoint. Even further original guitar music is by Jay Grant, who I swear I am going to beat to death. This is a solemn vow. For more Texas Companion fun and information, check out our website at texascompanion.org. Questions and feedback can be emailed to info at texascompanion.org, and you can like and share our page on Facebook anytime you want. We're also on SoundCloud, the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, and the entire rest of the internet. We've been busy. Check it out and have a wonderful Texas day.
1: I think your hungover voice is working really well at making you sound like all dark and sad.
2: Yeah. (laughs) god
1: (laughs) damn it method acting a true professional
2: i I am i I...
1: (laughs) okay hold on let me uh